Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, it's all about jumping the gun. Like, can David Culley's Texans go undefeated this year? Yep, they're on their way. (laughs) We've got thoughts after their first blowout. Plus, did the Astros have a new superstar? And what could a revamped Rockets rotation look like? Yeah, I'm already way ahead of myself. But before I fire things up, we're excited to tell you about our new sponsor, BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. You're going to want to stay tuned to hear about an exclusive discount we've got for you later in the show. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, all you Texans, get up and scream. It's football time in Houston. Hey, how about that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm excited. I, I wish we could um, take the preseason wins and put them toward the regular season. Robert, is there a way we could possibly, you know, change the, the makeup and just make preseason count? Because the Texans would be 1-0. and You know, they're, they're going to need all the help they can get this year, right? I was hoping you would have some more positive reviews on my Clay Walker, but I, I need to work on that. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll give you some voice lessons. We'll we'll start making calls at the end of the show, Robert. <laughs> Did anybody notice David Cully running over to congratulate his receivers after they made a play? It made me think of how much nobody's going to miss Bill O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, and, and you were tweeting that throughout the game. You know, nobody's going to miss his enthusiasm. You know, his his press conferences, all of it. You know, I mean, you, you talk about a guy that, that's opposite the personality. David Culley is, he, he's certainly an enthusiastic guy. You want to cheer for him. I think I've said that before. It's hard not to get excited just because of where the Texans have been, but you got to look for positives wherever you can find them. And Saturday night, they, you know, at least had a few if you're a Texans fan. His interviews are exciting. Cully was just pumped up, but what wasn't exciting his aggression, decision-making, they were not exciting. He could have gone for it on a couple of fourth and short situations, including a fourth and inches near midfield, but instead either punted or kicked a field goal. There was also a dump down at midfield with six seconds left in the half instead of the Davis Mills Hail Mary that I was expecting right there. I mean, Stephen, this is a preseason game. It's It's a scrimmage, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be. And it's funny because, you know, when when you tweeted out about Bill O'Brien, I started to text you back. Yeah. What about his clock management? Do you miss that? And, and then that happened. I thought, no, maybe I better not do that. because It was a little bit questionable there at the end of the first half. Yeah, I just don't get it. You, you, you're at a preseason game. Do we need to see the kicker come out there four times for field goals? Can can that be something that we work on in practice? I, I just don't see that as a necessary thing. And, you know, you got new, two new quarterbacks. They, they need to show you something. One guy's a veteran, of course. And we saw Tyrod Taylor. He had one series, uh, the field goal drive four for four, 40 yards, a 108.3 passer rating. We didn't get to see a, a ton of him, but he looked sharp, obviously. And then Steve, we got to get to Davis Mills, 11 for 22, 112 yards, no touchdowns, one bad interception, a bad interception right after the Texans caused a turnover late in the half. It could have been a field goal, another field goal before the half was over with. Cully wasn't happy about it either. You know, going to the locker room, we got a lot more emotion, like I said, out of him. And and that was interesting to see uh, what he had to say after that. But what did you think of Davis Mills? Well, you know, really, Robert, nothing that Davis Mills uh, did uh, surprised me a whole lot. He was both good and bad in stretches. 
he showed promise, you know, but he still has a lot to learn. He, he did complete some passes and some tight windows. I uh, think he had one to Anthony Miller. I know we'll get to him in a little bit. Uh, Chris Conley made a nice, you know, a couple of nice catches. Uh, he did throw that costly interception that you talked about in the red zone. I think one of the things, uh, you know, that's encouraging, he, he had a pretty good uh, quick release. I think one of the Chronicle reporters clocked it at about 2.3 seconds average. So not bad. You know, he, he showed some flashes when he was under pressure, but, you know, then he there were some other plays he made where he didn't handle the pressure quite too well. He got sacked in his first passing attempt. Welcome to the NFL. So really, I mean, all in all, I, I think Davis Mills gave you, gave you what you expected. He, you know, he's, he obviously doesn't have as much experience as some of the other guys, and it showed. But he, I think he gained confidence as he went along. And one of the things that I think the, the coaches have been pointing out, you know, both during camp and in that game, Robert, is that when Davis Mills makes a mistake, he does at least try to come back and correct it and learn from it. He had some really good throws. He had some really bad throws. The thing that I noticed was that the bad throws seemed to be some really easy ones, like that screen pass that he threw at the feet of our old friend. Remember that slot receiver that we drafted a few years ago that Bill O'Brien yeah. didn't like to play? <laughs> yeah, I think his name is Kiki QT. Yeah, he he kind of put that at the feet. Now, now QT had... I think he had three drops in that game, but a couple of them were pretty tough, and that was one of them. No, that wasn't a drop. That was, was just right at his feet, right. Didn't even didn't. get to him. I mean, that was – and then it, there was the other screen pass near the goal line that Davis Mills just badly overthrew. The guy. I mean, it was terrible. It's it's a four-yard pass. I guess you can – I mean, I guess, Stephen, you can expect some jitters. I mean, he's a playing in his first game in the NFL. You're at Lambeau Field. I mean, that's going to happen, I guess, right? Well, sure. And uh, believe me, you know, there were 72,000 people there. You know, they were obviously hungry for football, especially after last year when you <laughs> couldn't really have any fans in the stands. So, you know, Green Bay was definitely ready for, for some football, uh, as you said. So, you know, I, as I said, the, the guy's only, what, he had 11 starts in college. He's He's got a lot of learning to do. But I think you you did see some flashes of, why they were high on him. And and I think that with time, if he can continue to learn from his mistakes, then all the better. So, but, but thank goodness we do have Tyrod Taylor. The The question with him is, can he stay healthy? I mean, that's, that's really the big thing with him. He, he definitely showed that he's a veteran. He was perfect in the, the only series that he had for, for four, for 40 yards, led the team to a field goal. So yeah, definitely some encouraging signs at quarterback. Hey, I wonder if uh, Deshaun Watson was was watching his uh, quarterback's play. Yeah, that's uh, a whole other story that I'm just tired of talking about, and yeah, I'm no gonna doubt. I'm gonna ignore that. But I, I do want to mention the fact that Tyrod Taylor did it without really your starting offensive line out there because Titus Howard, Laramie Tunsil, even a backup like Roderick Johnson that would have helped two of your five offensive linemen basically were out because of COVID protocol. They seem to be doing okay health-wise, according to David Culley. So you couldn't really analyze the offensive line much. The running game looked as bad as it did last year. But again, Stephen, I mean, we got to see what they can do with Titus Howard and Laramie Tunts. I mean, those are your two best offensive line, I think, right? Well, that's right. And and look, you know, they did get 170 yards and a couple of scores. So I, I wouldn't say that they stunk so much. I mean, they didn't look – they certainly didn't look explosive. And as you said, you, you didn't have – the, the full line in the game, they did control the ball. I mean, the Texans, I mean, you talk about time of possession, it was 33-21, you know, compared to the Packers, 26-39. So, you know, there were some signs of the running game, but I don't think that we're ready to say, hey, 
the running game has completely turned things around. So, yeah, I, I mean, there were some good and bad things with that as well. Yeah, and we saw a lot of backups in the running game. I mean, that's going to happen your first preseason game. And also, you know, we knew the special teams would be a priority this season with Casario and some of the moves that he made were right to, towards that area. And we saw it with their first punt return. Former All-Pro Desmond King got 43 yards, although you'd assume three-time Pro Bowl returner Andre Roberts, who didn't play, will be the starter. Their longest punt return last year was not 43 yards. It was 19 yards by DeAndre Carter. Yeah, that, that's certainly something that we really need to get going. We've been talking about this, I don't know how many years, Robert, about as long as we talked about who's going to be the next franchise quarterback before you got to Sean Watson. It's it's the special teams and, and the return game in particular. So it definitely showed some improvement with Desmond King. But as you said, yeah, Andre Carter is going to be the starter. Looking forward to seeing something from him and in the preseason. Just a plethora of guys on defense, starters that just didn't get out there. Um, the defense, though, you know, you could say they look pretty good with what they had out there. The one thing that I'm going to say to remember as we move forward, Stephen, is that the Texans traded Bernardrick McKinney for Shaq Lawson. Then the Texans restructured Lawson's deal so he'd be a $5.4 million cap hit in 2022. That's next year. If you cut him, you're still taking that $5.4 million cap hit. I thought it was interesting that with a lot of starters not dressed out on defense, Lawson did not start and he played well into the third quarter. It feels like we're already seeing one of those Casario merciless mistakes. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, yeah, yeah. The Whitney Merciless contract. How many of those have we talked about over the last few years? And he's one of them. So, yeah, we definitely want to see more out of Lawson. And I was impressed with the defense considering how many starters, you know, were out. Uh, the run defense, you know, that was terrible last year, too. It looked pretty darn good. You know, Green Bay, I think, just had 49 yards on 21 carries as far as rushing. That's a 2.3 average. But I, I like the way the defense hustled. I mean, they, you know, when you when you think about how many players, you know, on the front line starters didn't play, they were scrappy. I didn't see a lot of missed tackles, Robert. You know, that was one thing that, you know, the Texans have been guilty of in, in recent years. You know, they, they were plus two in turnovers. That was another thing that they really stunk at last year. You know, for the first game in Lovey Smith's new scheme, and when you consider how many of those guys that you're going to see on a regular basis weren't out there, I mean, I, I really didn't have too many bad things to say about the defense's performance overall. A couple of things that you said that, that are interesting. So there were some turnovers. One of the turnovers was just Green Bay just dropping the football. But another turnover that's worth mentioning Jonathan Grinard forced a strip sack fumble, which is a rare big play from that last horrible Bill O'Brien draft. I mean, nobody in that class has done much of anything. So if you get something from anybody in that class, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and that the turnover thing, that's one of the things Lovey Smith has been preaching all throughout camp is that you guys have got to get better at turning it over. You know, and, and that's something that he's prided himself on both as a head coach and a defensive coordinator. So it's something that they've obviously been working on during camp and it came to pass. You know, Jonathan Grenard, as you mentioned, had that uh, and Khalil Johnson was was on the spot with a couple of those. So, yeah, that that's something the Texans. I mean, if they can just, you know, adequately improve on that stat and, and get even average at the running game. Boy, how much better would that defense be during the regular season? 
you can't get too excited about the defense because guess what? No Aaron Rodgers. However, you said a couple of things. You said they're tackling better and they're not having penalties. I mean, those are the two two of the big things that you would think translate as you move forward. Like if you can continue to do stuff like that, that that's coaching and that's what you want to see from a team that's got a bunch of new guys and a new head coach and a new defensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and certainly the game wouldn't have been 26 to seven. I don't think if Aaron Rodgers had been playing even half the game, uh, you knew you weren't going to see him. So again, we, we have to temper our excitement with, with realism, but the penalties thing, you know, getting back to that, that was something that David Culley was rather upset about in that uh, scrimmage that they had the Saturday before uh, you know, the, the, apparently the Texans had a lot of penalties during that game. Well, in the Green Bay game, they didn't get their first penalty at all until late in the second quarter. That's pretty darn good for a first preseason game, I would say. Okay. Was there anything that I'm missing here? Because I just feel like you can't get too excited about most of this stuff because there's a lot of guys out there that are playing that just they're, they're not going to matter in the long run. You're just looking for some good signs here or there. We saw something from Nico Collins. We We saw good and bad from Brevin Jordan. It's just nothing that really jumped off the page other than what we've already discussed for me anyway. Well, I, I did want to get to uh, Anthony Miller. You know, the, of course, they made the trade for him in Chicago, and he, he looked good when he was in there, and then he gets hurt. He Apparently, you know, he's had some shoulder separation problems before. I think he's had a couple of surgeries on the shoulder, so he's injured it again, so that that's definitely something. We talked about Grenard. And he sprained his ankle after making those plays. So, you know, th- those are the things that are going to happen in a preseason game. Unfortunately, you know, people are going to get injured. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, as much as we – the positives that we've talked about with the Texans, I just think we, we have to keep it realistic and know that they've got a long way to go. They've got a lot of new players on this team trying to figure things out. David Culley, as I said, you want to cheer for him, love his enthusiasm. He, he does get on guys, though, when they mess up. I mean, that's the thing that – you see a lot of emotion both ways with him. So, you know, after the first preseason game, Robert, at least, you know, we can sit there and say, well, the Texans didn't get blown out 30 to nothing like we probably thought they might. Uh, but you just you have to be careful when you start evaluating preseason games in regard to, to hard numbers. So we'll just have to see what happens moving forward with Cowboys coming up next. Yeah, going back to Anthony Miller and what you said, I mean, I blew him up for that deal. I thought, why are you spending a six-round pick on a slot wide receiver who's in his last season, who's you know not somebody that you see as a major future guy going forward. Why would you spend draft capital where you can get somebody cheap in the draft there? And then, Stephen, you mentioned the other thing. He gets hurt with a shoulder injury. He's had two of those in the past. This is a history deal with him. So it just looks stupid, just like you know the Shaq Lawson move. I just don't get some of the things that Casario's already done. I'm already questioning a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's it's not like you don't know that they have that history, certainly. I, I mean, that's the first I'd really heard about it. I, I didn't delve too much into Miller's background when they made the trade. But, you know, those are the sorts of things. If you're a general manager, you know that. So, you know, why would you make something like that? And then sure enough, first preseason game, he's out, going to be out for a stretch because of that shoulder once again. You know, Stephen, I was thinking that David Culley kicking all those field goals and trying to put points on the board tells me he's trying to win these preseason games. And if that's the case, (laughs) I'm going to say maybe you should throw a few dollars down on the Texans in this Cowboys game this Saturday. You know where I'm going with this, Stephen? 
Uh-huh. I think I know you're you're talking about our new sponsor, aren't you? Oh yeah. If you're gonna lay some dollars on these Texans, do it with our new partner, betus.com, because you might as well uh, find a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. It's not just football. They'll take action on just about any sport. Maybe you want to put something on the Astros. BetUS has them at plus 500 to win the World Series. Only the Dodgers with better odds. So if you guys are believers in the boys, go to BetUS.com. They've been a pioneer in the sports book industry for almost three decades with a diehard customer fan base. Their mobile platform, easy to use with full betting options. Log on to BetUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. And here's the cool part. When you sign up, use our promo code HST125 to redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. Or if you use crypto, a 200% bonus. And again, that code HST125. And to help our podcast, Sign in using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. Click on BetUS on the right side of the page. Trust me, it's going to help us out a little bit. Uh, We want to keep bringing you the podcast, and that's one way you can do it for us. Follow my lead. Get on your phone. Go online and find the best betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Well, there's one guy, Robert, that you should have laid money on Saturday night. And I'm not talking about the Texans game. In fact, I'm not even talking about football at all. I'm talking about Jake Myers. You'd laid some serious money down on Jake Myers Saturday night, Robert. You, my friend, would be a rich man. What a coming out, man. (laughs) I mean, two home runs, a solo shot and a grand slam. But Stephen, when I watch his style of play... Let's think about this for a second. Speed, easy power, defense, enthusiasm, energy, joy. This is Baby Springer. Baby Springer, yes. And I think you you mentioned another guy named Jake that used to be an Astro, Jake Marisnik. Um, so, you know, he does have some similarities between both of those players. You know, when I when I think about, I mean, you know, George Springer's obvious, but Jake Marisnik the thing about Jake Marisnik is when he could hit, which uh, he was about as streaky a hitter as you could get, you know, he, he showed some power. He could, he could get on a hot streak and nobody could stop him. You just hope that Jake Myers will be a bit more consistent than that and provide the depth that the Astros desperately need in the outfield. But man, you know, his coming out Saturday night was definitely something to watch. Unfortunately, it kind of got buried, I guess, with the Texans game. I, I didn't see it until later, you know, the highlights of that, Robert, but Wow, that, that was definitely something to watch Saturday night if you're watching the Astros game. It wasn't just that he hit two home runs. They were both opposite field. He almost hit a third home run. It was out to the warning track. He hit another long fly ball as well. You mentioned Jake Marisnik. That stance kind of reminds me of Jake Marisnik. The way yeah. he stands, the the flow that he's got a little bit in his hair. a little bit, not quite the Jake Marisnik flow. I thought this was interesting too, Stephen. Jason Bell, who's the Astros minor league fundamentals coordinator, tweeted out, this about Jake Myers that night. He said it, it's tough to find a more attention to detail oriented person in all aspects than Jake. He said basically that it's only fitting that Myers' first career home run would be at a time when he was at third base. 
for a stand-up triple before he realized that there was a home run. <laughs> and then he went on to say, Jason Bell did, special person and player. So uh, this is not a surprise for people in the Astros organization. And this is the kind of guy he is. Well, yeah, I did see that tweet. And it is interesting. Yeah, the first home run, he wasn't sure. You know, he was putting his head down, you know, churning like he was going to be a triple. He wasn't even, he didn't even know that the ball went out, I think, until third base coach uh, Omar Lopez told him, hey, it's a home run, you know, keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, but you got to cheer for guys like that. He, he's been raking it, you know, in the minor leagues. That's why they called him up. And of course, now that Kyle Tucker is out, I know we'll get to that, you know, again, probably for at least a week. Jake Myers is going to get his shot, and he made the most of it Saturday. I mean, he had one hit, struck out a couple of times on Sunday, but yeah, it's still a very, very, very small sample size. It's still early, but you're, you're seeing some things from Jake Myers that hopefully you'll continue to see with that speed and, you know, with the power that he's exhibiting. You just get the consistency, then, yeah, maybe you know, we can get a, a Jake Marisnik type player back and, and maybe even better. Okay, so we haven't gotten on Dusty in a while, and that brings me to the Jake Myers situation because Dusty seemed to be a little bit passive-aggressive when he was talking about Jake Myers over the last week or so. Oh, everybody wants to see him. Now you're going to see him, blah, blah, blah. You know he didn't like the Miles Straw deal. He, I guess he was not very aware of who Jake Myers was. He hadn't seen him over with Sugarland, And if Dusty doesn't see a guy... He doesn't believe in a guy, and we haven't talked about a dusty decision that uh, is kind of a little nerve-wracking to me, but the one on Sunday was a little bit concerning. I just would say the fact that Jake Myers has not been in center field the two games, and it, and it might have just cost him in the Sunday game, Stephen, because there was two plays where you had Chaz McCormick, who's not a really good defensive center fielder. He's out there in center field, and Jake Myers has a great arm. He's got probably better speed, definitely better speed. You saw him scoring on that uh, sack fly this weekend, which was also fantastic. And Marisnik throws to third base when maybe he shouldn't have thrown to third base. And that allowed a runner to move up to second base, which took out a double play potential. And then there was another play where uh, Marisnik just didn't get over there fast enough. And the Angels got a hustle double. And I'm thinking if Jake Myers is out there in center field. Maybe those two plays don't happen, and it's a one-run game. That's all that the Astros lost by. So, yeah, that mattered. You, you actually mean McCormick, right? You, you said Marisnik, but you actually meant McCormick. Right, yeah, I'm, right. I'm in, I'm yeah. in my Marisnik mode. Yeah, exactly, McCormick. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's quite understandable because, like you said, there are similarities. Yeah, I would I would really like to see more of Mar if you're gonna If you're going to put Myers in the outfield, I'd rather see him more in center because I think that's where he is more tailor-made. Now, Getting back to your the first comment you made about Dusty and what he said about Jake Myers, you know what what he was talking about is when everybody was wanting to see Jake Myers get in the game, you know, and get a, get the playing time since he's been called up. And Dusty's comment was, "Be careful what you wish for." You know, if I were Jake Myers, Robert, I'm not sure I'd be too appreciative of him saying something like that. It, those comments kind of made me stop and go, "Whoa, is that really something you want your manager saying about?" Any of your players, you know, even if it's a young guy that just got called up from the minor leagues, I, I don't know if he really intended it to come out that way, but it just it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way the way he said that about Jake. It doesn't say a lot about Dusty's relationship with James Click either. You don't want to be questioning what the Astros are doing personnel-wise. 
No, you certainly don't. And, and you know, a guy like Dusty Baker, it's, it's not like he's a young manager his first year. He's still trying to learn the ropes. I mean, Dusty's been around, so it's not like he doesn't know any better. But I, you know, I, I mean, Dusty has his, he has his ways. We, we've talked about him before, so I don't know. We, we can just scratch our head and on, on that decision and the other on Sunday that you talked about. All right. Another thought that I had this week, and it will, a lot of good stuff with Jake Myers, but I want to talk about maybe the fact that the booze that Altuve is hearing on the road could be affecting him because, Stephen, look at the numbers. You look at his home road splits. His OPS at home looks like MVP Altuve, 924. His road OPS, a very pedestrian 735. Yeah, that's certainly not something you want to see in a guy like Jose Altuve. I, I think that, you know, really the whole month of August has, has not been a good month for him. You know, Correa, of course, has struggled in spots. But, yeah, the, the road numbers, and you think, you know, what? look, once you get in the postseason, it's only going to get worse, especially if you go into places like uh, Yankee Stadium or something like that where you're really going to hear about it. So I don't know if it's the booze that are affecting him or, or just the fact that, just the the whole discomfort factor. But yeah, you got to have Jose Altuve turning it around, especially the deeper you get into the season, because that's one of the reasons the Astros offense has struggled so much in August, you know, and he had an opportunity to bring some runners around on Sunday. He didn't do it. So yeah, Jose, definitely. You want him to get him turned around as soon as possible, for sure. His double play partner, Carlos Correa, that's we're talking about at this point, because his OPS this year 829 career OPS 833 this is who Correa is and maybe I'm in denial on this but I just can't see him getting anywhere close to 300 million dollars on the open market that's a number that's been thrown around a little bit but as stacked as this position is around baseball and Correa having an okay year but this is not you know this is not a guy that's oh he's turned the corner he's super duper star now and I'm going to rattle off the shortstops with a higher OPS than Correa this year Fernando Tatis, uh, Willie Adamas, uh, Brandon Crawford, Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner, Marcus Simeon. That's six of them. The one concern is the Yankees, I guess, because Glaber Torres having his second bad season in a row after two all-star years. He's only 24, but maybe they throw the bank at Correa. Anybody else? I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I I don't think you're going to have the kind of numbers, especially, as you said, it's just an okay year. I mean, it's not a bad year, but look, this is a contract year, and I think, you know, in any other season, Correa would get his deal like a slam dunk, I, I really think. But when you're talking about the depth of the shortstops that you just named and, you know, even a few others, then that's that's probably – it's going to be interesting to see this offseason what kind of a deal he is going to be offered. But, you know, I mean, the Yankees, they, they already stole Garrett Cole, so are they going to do the same with Correa? <laughs> it remains to be seen. Yeah, and and let's be honest here. I mean, if it's not one of these major markets in baseball, you know, you're not getting that money in the Mets. They've already invested in their shortstop of the future. They're stuck with him, even though he's had a bad year. So I I just don't know where he goes to get the money. The Dodgers, they've got their guy, it looks like. So also, I have to look at the Astros standings right now, Stephen, because, you know, we haven't even talked about that yet. Uh, It got a little hairy uh, in the last week, and they're doing okay. They're still in first place, but it's just a two-and-a-half game lead. These these A's don't want to go anywhere. It's hanging by a thread. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing I will say, that if if Correa does walk away from the Astros, and we've talked about this so many times on the podcast, Robert, it's 
it's those intangible things. You know, the leadership that he exhibits on the field. You know, when, when there's a pitching conference at the mound, if Brent Strom comes out or Mar Martin Maldonado comes out, Carlos Correa is right in the thick of that. I mean, he's, he's in almost every conversation. The, the leadership on the field, I think, is, is unparalleled where he's concerned. But, I mean, I, I still am not confident that he's going to remain with the Astros next year. But if there is some hope, you know, a ray of light, then it would be that, Robert. It would, it would be what you were just talking about, is that the numbers aren't exactly, you know, through the roof and with the depth that the other shortstops that are also going to be free agents, there is at least a sliver of hope that maybe, you know, the, the Astros can retain him, but I'm still just not that confident about it. Yeah, it kind of went under the radar. Trey Turner goes to the Dodgers. And Steven, that matters because he's still got another year of arbitration. So they might not be looking for a shortstop, even though Cody Bellinger struggled mightily this year. That's a key deal with where Correa's options are, right? Yeah, the, the Dodgers and the Yankees, I'd say, I, I would be the two teams that if they're really going to throw the everything in the kitchen sink, it, you know, it's somebody like Carlos Correa would be them. So I, I, it is going to be something to watch, and I, I'm not quite ready for the regular season and postseason to be over. <laughs> but once they are, that, that's something that, that's really going to come into play. It's time for our favorite news segment, This Week in Astros History with Stephen Kerr. Yeah, we, we need to get uh, Bob Ford to do something for that. I, I think <laughs> yeah. that'd be quite a problem. That, that's a good Bob Ford impression. That, that's pretty good, Robert. You, you've definitely worked on that. So, yes, This Week in Astros History. We've got three things for you here. And one of them I know you remember, Robert, because it only happened two years ago. And you and I were texting during this game. It was August 10th, 2019. When the Astros absolutely destroyed the Baltimore Orioles, 23-2 to at Camden Yards. Yeah, I know it's the Orioles, but hey, you still have to be impressed with the display of offense that the Astros put on. Six home runs, three of them from Jordan Alvarez. That was, of course, when he was having that rookie season of the ages. He had one each from Bregman, Altuve, and Correa. They had 25 hits in that game. It's the first time they've done that since 1976. So pretty neat highlight. I mean, you just sit there watching. I, I couldn't help but feel sorry, Robert, for the fans of the Baltimore Orioles. You know, they're just down year after year after year. And then you're just watching them getting embarrassed that night. It, you, you almost have to feel sorry for him. Almost. My one memory of that game is the position player that they brought in that was throwing a bunch of junk and, and Jordan just was like, oh, this is uh, like uh, softball. Uh, I can just hey. really tee off on one. And he, got, I think that was his third home run. Yeah, it had to be his third home run of the, of the game. Yeah, I think it, it was by that point. But yeah, just, just so many, just one of those games. I mean, you know, it's obviously one that it, it's only going to come along you know, once every 20 years, I guess. But yeah, it was something to watch. If you're an Astros fan, you're really loving that game. Now, on August 15th, 2004, the Astros came from behind a beat. The Montreal Expos. Remember them? Yeah, they, they used to be a team. They, they used to be something of five to four. The Astros came from behind. Now, they trailed the Cubs, Giants, Padres, Marlins, and Phillies in the wild card race by six games before that game. Well, that win against the Expos began a 36 and 10 run for the Astros that helped them clinch the NL wild card. And they won their final 18 games at home. And it all started with that win over the Expos and that special 
2004 postseason that they didn't quite get to the World Series, Robert, but they almost did. Oh, I missed the Expos. I can't remember if I told you I bought an Expos baseball cap in the last year, year and a half. Yes, you did tell me that. Great hat. Boy, they had one of the all-time classic baseball hats. <laughs> and the Expos, we miss them in baseball. I mean, they're fun to have like a team that you would hear some French at the ballpark occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. And, and you know, they, they may not have been a perennial playoff contender, but they, they certainly had some some great players and they were a team that you wanted to cheer for. Of course, if you if you weren't an Astros fan um, in Olympic Stadium, quite an interesting place to play. But, yep, Montreal Expos no longer here, but uh, they were instrumental in helping the Astros <laughs> run off that 36 and 10 record because you, you probably remember, Robert, they didn't get off to a great start in that 2004 season. So they really had to play winning, you know, 36 of their next 46 games. And they were six games behind at that point, the wild card. So for them to do that and come back and win the wild card and go as far as they did, it was quite something. Uh, and the final one here that I have is August 11th, 1982. And it involved the Ryan Express. Ah, yes. You know, you're, you know, if you listen to this segment throughout the year, you're going to hear plenty of memories from this guy, I'm sure. Nolan Ryan pitched a one-hit, three-to-nothing shutout against the San Diego Padres. Now, nothing real, you know, earth-shattering or surprising about that. But almost a year later, on August 3rd, Robert, Ryan one-hit the Padres again, one-to-nothing. So, you know, you talk about all the no-hitters that Nolan Ryan had. He had a whole bunch of one-hitters as well, and he had two against the Padres in just over a year span. It's funny you bring up Ryan because this weekend I tweeted with the Angels and the Astros playing. I said, you know, I don't typically like the Angels unless it's this badass. And I'm talking about <laughs> Nolan Ryan. I threw up a photo of him and I said, if you don't know, in eight seasons in Anaheim, he threw 156 complete games, averaged, yes, averaged 302 strikeouts, 17 wins, 273 innings, and he posted a 307 ERA. Wow. Yeah, and then no question. I mean, the, the Angels, they, they, of course, were you know the California Angels at that point, but that was the team that, that really got Nolan's career off and running. Of course, he did pitch with the Mets. He was part of that 1969 Miracle Mets team, but, but the Angels is where he really came into his own. And then, of course, when he came to the Astros, he did his thing, made some great contributions. So... Yeah, it's interesting that the history with the two teams and the fact that they were playing this past weekend. And yeah, you got to think of Nolan Ryan when you think of some of the all-time great Angels players, too. Absolutely. I mean, just uh, some good stuff. Stephen, was that it from for this week in Astros history? That was it. Yep, those three things. All right, well, let's move to the Rockets because they remain interesting, even though, I mean, this is so disappointing. They have, they've got one last summer league game, but Stephen... The joy got knocked out just a little bit because Jalen Green goes down with that hamstring hamstring issue, and, and there's some PTSD when I just hear the word hamstring in a Houston athlete. Ah. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Robert. I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I want to say it was somebody from Sports Radio 610. Uh, you know, the good thing about doing podcasts is you can mention radio stations, and they're not really – you're not going to get in trouble for it. But anyway – I, I want to say it was Sean Pendergast, but it was somebody who tweeted out that, you know, after the Jalen Green had that injury, he says, well, Jalen Green is now officially a Houston pro sports athlete <laughs> because he got an injury. So, yeah, 
I know you start cringing. We're going, oh my gosh, it's it's summer league, and, and he's already got a, a hamstring injury. That's not good. But no, I, I think it, it was more soreness or tightness, I guess, in the hamstring. And the Rockets just they want to be careful, which is smart. But it is still disappointing because what, the things we were seeing from Jalen Green, I mean, goodness gracious, you know, those first what three games that he he took part in, he got hit hurt in the third game. But yeah, it just things that you you're really excited to look forward to when the regular season gets here you don't make too much of the numbers it's summer league but he was shooting about 50 percent 90 percent from the free throw line he's making all these incredible shots it's not just oh he's making layups because they're not playing defense you know he was making some tough shots and he was shooting from outside well too and obviously so fun to watch just it, it was like wait a second we're seeing something being born here like a real deal yeah, and it's certainly true. And there's nothing but upside for this guy. I mean, so many of these guys are young, 19, and, and Jalen Green is one of them, and he's going to make mistakes. I mean, we just have to understand that that's going to happen. But, man, some of the things that he did show, you know, scoring 20-plus points in at least a couple of games and just some of the moves he made, it, it yeah, it, it definitely inspires something to look forward to. And with the Rockets, you know, this past season you had – really nothing at all to look forward to except hoping that you would get, you know, one of those top four picks in the lottery, which they did. So maybe the luck is starting to turn the Rockets way. And Jalen Green is certainly going to be a big part of that. And he's got the hair and he's got the style. All oh, of that yeah. stuff is good. Well, that's good for marketing, right? Oh yeah. I mean, if you're the Rockets, you've got to be so excited about having a guy like that. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why, they loved him at number two in the draft. Uh, also, you know, the Rockets got in the draft. Usman Garuba, who we didn't get to see the first couple of summer league games, but he finally comes in from Spain. And you got to love how badly Garuba wants to play for the Rockets. I'm not sure people know the story, but it wasn't exactly a given he'd be on the team this year. There needed to be a buyout from Real Madrid. His reps told NBA teams that he'd paid the buyout of his Real Madrid contract, reportedly costing him $3.5 million so he could make the jump this season to the NBA. It had cost Garuba the bulk of his first NBA salary for his first two seasons, although the agreement allows Garuba to pay the buyout in installment so he can you know, sort of spread it out, you would say. Garuba said, quote, I wanted to play in the NBA. The NBA was my dream since I was a kid. I wanted to be here no matter what, unquote. So basically, Stephen... He wanted to play here so bad that he paid his way out of this deal. And then he spent basically 24 hours on different flights to get to Las Vegas for that summer league game. The Rockets told him, hey, you can ease your way into summer league action. You don't have to start up immediately. But instead, Garuba insisted on playing right off the plane. That That's pretty incredible. You talk about a hunger. I mean, that that's going to go a long way. Hopefully you know, in, in helping him succeed. You know, what's funny, Robert, when I first heard that the Rockets, you know, were going to get him and that he was from Real Madrid, my, I have to admit, my first thought is, wait, did he play soccer for them too? <laughs> you know, because when you think of Real Madrid, you know, their, their soccer team, but no, that that is that is a story that you definitely like to hear. You, you want to know the guys that want to come play for you. So hopefully that hunger will translate into some great play as time goes on. Yeah, he's a guy that's going to be a project. There's no question about that. And that's where I get to my next point, because 
Who knows if any of the Rockets vets get dealt, but assuming that doesn't happen before we start the season, I spent a little time and I thought, okay, where are we at right now? I'll throw out what I think might happen with the Rockets rotation early in the season. So let's start off with you'd have to assume the rotation includes John Wall, Eric Gordon, Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, Daniel House, David Nwaba, and Daniel Tice. That's nine guys right there. I mean, veterans in the NBA matter. So, Stephen, that leaves the Rockets' other three rookies, Shangun, Garuba, and Christopher. Now, my gut feeling is Garuba and Christopher start with the G League so they can work on their shooting range and other skills. That I'm pretty sure of. As far as Shangun, I can see him potentially getting spot minutes if Silas decides to go with a 10-man rotation early on. You never know with injuries what's going to happen during the preseason and what whatnot. But personally, I'd prefer him getting minutes over Tice. He looks ready for the big time, and I just don't see how the G League is going to benefit him much. Yeah, I definitely think it, if you're talking about who's going to be in the front runner there, I, I think Shingun is, is going to be the one just of what he showed in the summer league play, he was impressive. I mean, we talked a lot about Jalen Green, but man, Shingun was getting in there and, and hustling and getting after it and making some plays. So, I mean, that that's a good problem to have, Robert. And, uh, you know, ideally, you'd like to say, man, there's, there's such a log jam at the top. But when you think about it, you know, when you think about Eric Gordon's uh, injury history, you know, that that's something that's going to come into play. John Wall, I, I mean... I don't think you're going to deal him right now, but I, I still am not sure for the long term, you know, what is John Wall's future? But yeah, those 10 guys, I, I mean, there's no question. The Rockets have some things to play with. It's a good problem to have. You just don't know how many injuries you're going to be dealing with where it's not going to matter so much. But, you know, you, you've seen some flashes from Josh Christopher, but I, I think, and, and Garuba, like you said, I, I think those two guys are kind of going to be on the outside looking in. But, wow, that's that's quite a roster lineup when you start looking at it, at least on paper, of the potential it has. We'll see because we don't know what's going to happen with the Rockets going for the rest of the offseason because they might, you know, have somebody in line to take a Daniel House off their hands or take a Eric Gordon. I, there's no way John Wall is going to get dealt. I just don't see anybody out there. There was a thought that maybe the Clippers would be interested, but they decided to take another bad contract, maybe not as bad as John Wall, but uh, they took Bledsoe off the Memphis Grizzlies' hands. So, you know, I just don't see a scenario where he goes anywhere. And if I'm the Rockets, it's a tough thing that you got to think about here, Stephen, because are you going to deal a Daniel House and an Eric Gordon when maybe their value isn't as high as it could be potentially at the trade deadline, especially somebody like House? Like Eric Gordon... I, I, I don't know if it's going to make a whole lot of difference, but I think with the Daniel House, you would look at him as somebody that maybe could increase his trade value going into the deadline, and then somebody needs that wing. They have an injury, something happens. But you also want to think about, you know, I need to get as many minutes as possible for Kevin Porter and for Jalen Green and some of these younger players. Even, you know, I didn't even mention K.J. Martin in that rotation, and, and maybe That's right. he's a wing now with his outside shot improving, his, his dribbling is getting a little bit better, ball handling skills, stuff like that. Also, uh, Martin, I, I just don't see him as a 4-5 like he was this past year. He just doesn't have the size and the bulk and the defense 
compared to the guys that they already got, like Christian Wood and Thice and I mean, I, look at what Jay Sean Tate does at that four or five and his size. I think he's still way more valuable there than he is at the three. And then you've got Shane Goon coming on. And, and I like his defense from what I saw in the summer league. Well, Daniel House is certainly the better attraction if you're a team looking at that. But I, I agree with you. You know, the trade deadline is probably a better option for that. And I just I don't know what value can you get from an Eric Gordon at this point unless you throw him in with a house or, or you know, someone else. And, and I'm just, I, I mean, I know we keep hearing a lot about Kevin Porter Jr. I, I just, he just doesn't inspire confidence in me yet. Now, maybe if he comes out and shows me something in the regular season this next year, maybe I'll think more about him. But I'm just still not sold on him. I, I'm actually sold more on K.J. Martin than I am Kevin Porter Jr. at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, but the problem is you have to find out what Kevin Porter Jr. is. And the talent is there, Stephen. We see it. He's got it is there. Skills. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just, as we've talked about before in this podcast, Robert, it's all in his head. That That's what needs to get straightened out is his mentality. Yeah, just the commitment to defense, the commitment to rebounding, the commitment to not giving the ball up so easily, you know, hand, ball handling skills. I'm not worried about the three-point shot. That's going to come along. Uh, he's got good form. He looks like somebody that potentially could get there uh, from that range. But, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff you know, and off the court, obviously, is a big deal, too. I mean, that's all that's there. But um, I mean, that's all, all all something to think about. I, I didn't have any more Rockets, but I, I did want to mention before we get going, Stephen, uh, there was just some really just devastating news for Houston Cougars fans and the whole Houston Cougar community. Leroy Burrell, we know Leroy, he's Olympian, the coach for the track team, and he loses Cameron Burrell from... A suicide. I mean, that came out late in the week that that's what had happened to Cameron Burrell. And Cameron Burrell was an outstanding sprinter. I mean, he was one of the best in the world, not just in college, but he was one of the best sprinters in the world for a little bit there a few years ago. And, and, and you know, NCAA champion uh, sprinter as well. So it was horrible, horrible to hear about that. Yeah, you know, Robert, I'm sure hoping that we can have a stretch on this podcast where we're not talking about someone passing away, you know, of, of a Houston sports or, or anyone for that matter. I did see that and it, it it's tragic. And, you know, the, the thing that we have been hearing a lot about, you know, especially from Olympic athletes and, and other athletes is the mental health situation is, is really a serious, it, it's not becoming a serious problem. It, it has been a serious problem for many, many years. And it just, you know, you hate to hear something like that. It just, unfortunately, emphasizes the, the need for uh, just more stability and, and help for these guys when, when they're in situations where they feel like that's the only way out is suicide or are they just things that they can't handle. We just, we just need to do a better job of dealing with the, the mental health crisis that we have in this country, not just with athletics, you know, in normal society. But yeah, it's just very tragic to hear about Burrell. So many of the deaths that we've heard about over the last year in Houston sports, especially a lot of these Astros, they're in their 70s and their 80s. I mean, this is a 26-year-old kid. Yeah, still very young. And obviously, you know, as we said, it, if it happened from suicide, there are some things there that, that go much, much deeper than any physical illness can talk about. So I think it, it's tragic all the way around, obviously, but it's even more so when you think about it in those terms and just how young he was. Well, our next week is going to be looking forward to this Cowboys game. Stephen, are you ready 
to face a little Dallas Cowboy fandom in, 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 in NRG Stadium because they're going to be out there in force, my guess, because how many Texans fans are going to show up, do you think, for this game? <laughs> hey, we should do uh, – we, we definitely should keep an eye on the attendance and, and try to get some figures as to how many Cowboy fans were in the stands versus how many Texans fans were. Now, I, I, I think that, that, you know, that's one of the things, Robert, I used to really enjoy when I was an Oiler fan the preseason and just the rivalry that the Oilers and the Cowboys had fans, you know, talking trash to each other and, you know, Cowboy fans calling in on Houston talk shows and trashing the Oilers. And, you know, it was great. I mean, you're seeing somewhat of that with the Texans. I don't know that the rivalry aspect is quite as much, but it is just because it's Houston and Dallas. It's always going to be there. So, you know what, if it's preseason, Robert, and we need anything to get excited about, well, that would be it. Texans versus Cowboys, and it'll be at NRG Stadium. So, uh, yeah, that'll be pretty cool to watch, I think. My apologies. No, I, I made a mistake. It was, it's not at NRG. It is, it, it's oh, it at, is. That's right. It is in Dallas. You're right. Yeah. yeah the, the first, the Tampa Bay game is at NRG. That's, that's the only home game. You're right. I didn't see that either. But either way, even in Dallas, um, you know, there may be a handful of Texans fans that make it up there. But, yeah, probably going to be more Dallas fans, definitely, for sure. In my brain, I just thought it had to be at NRG because there's only three preseason games and the <laughs> Texans got to play at home at some point, but it's not until the third game That's right. against Tampa, their last preseason game, which is you know, August the 28th, Saturday. So that that's the one chance that you get to see them if you wanted to see them in a preseason game. Let me wrap it up by reminding everybody that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. If you want to go bet on the Cowboys, this is where you got to go. And if you use the code HST125, you can redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. If you forget, look for the promo code in the show description. And to help our podcast, please sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page. It's very easy to find. Just go to HST Podcast on Twitter or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. Click on BetUS on the right side of the page. And until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.